Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Harold Faltermeyer song. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Welcome to We Got This with Mark and Hal, the show that settles the debates nobody else will touch. Mark? Yes. This is the culmination of two other people's very hard work. Yep. I'm very excited to see what they've done. <laughs> this is very exciting for us because if you've listened to this show and if you listen to podcasts, you know how great Journos is. We are a big fan of these guys and we have them back with us today. And I'm a huge super fan of you guys. So I'm very delighted that you have graced us with your presence. It's of course, Brandon Reynolds and Steven Jackson are with us today to talk about a person I did not know anything about. But that's why we have investigative journalists on this very episode of the show. Fellas, thanks for being here. Oh, we're glad to be here. Thanks for having us, fellas. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we're here to talk about Harold Faltermeyer, Hal. Yeah. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about him. Didn't know anything. You knew. You didn't even know his name. You didn't know. You knew the music. But yeah, not here's the what name. I knew. Here's what I knew. I knew from the time I was about 11 how to mm. walk over to a piano that I saw anywhere in the world and be the annoying 11 year old that would plunk out. So that's all I knew of Harold Paul. I didn't know his name. I just knew the tune. You wouldn't go up to it and play the tango and cash. No. Yeah. No, I, that was that was rated R, Hal. <laughs> I was 11. Were you watching R rated? Bill yes. let you do anything in yeah. that house, didn't she? Sheila let me do anything. Well, that's fair. <laughs> Bill was off Cats in the Cradle working. Did oh. I ever tell you this story? That when I was a baby, you know, my father was working like crazy. Mm -hmm. He was he did not yet have his own real estate brokerage. He was an agent for someone else. Mm-hmm. And they were arguing, or my mother was talking about how he was missing out on these formative moments of my life and held me up in front of him and went cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Actually oh danced me around God. like a doll <laughs> to illustrate wow. yeah. the point. Oh. And they that stayed together. Great because it's so passive aggressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, oh, we'll get together then. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love it. I once did We had an English class assignment freshman year of high school, and it was pick a song and analyze the lyrics. And that was the song that I did. And the teacher was like, I'm not giving you an A on this. You did everything correctly, but this is the absolute easiest song you could have chosen for this assignment. I was like, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I could have picked Happy Birthday would have been. <laughs> yeah. You didn't choose the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald instead. No, right. Yeah. What did you want me to do? Try and figure out what Stairway to Heaven meant? <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound like there was a qualification for level of difficulty for the song. Yeah, you just said yeah. pick a song. Yeah. Yeah. And the cat was in the cradle. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something, silver spoon. And <laughs> I'm a terrible dad. And now my son, instead of passing it on, yeah. has been saving up all of this 
Uh, it's a really like a song about revenge. The yeah. song's like, one day this is going to turn the corner and I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait to make him feel bad. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I always thought it was about a, a, a cute little cat in a hammock. Steven's <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, never God. heard of subtext. He doesn't believe in yeah. it. Songs only do what they're yeah. coming out to yeah. do. Sorry, I took That's my I took my li- my linear thinking pill today, and I just everything. <laughs> I, I'm only going face value for the rest of the. Time we're together. Oh, that's going to be great because all of these songs are instrumentals, so we don't have to worry about <laughs> deeply analyzing the lyrics. Well, yeah. well, most of them are instrumental. I should say that when we come up on something like this, which feels mm-hmm. so subjective, and we don't know a ton about Harold Faltermeyer, we know sort of like some of the hits. Like I just learned that he wrote a song for Starlight Express, which mm-hmm. I may be one of four people who enjoy that. For the 3D movie, right? For the, like, wrote yes. it late for the 3D right. movie version. So we needed your help to really figure this out and get to the heart of what it is that makes his music work and what we should even be looking for. So I, I would love to hear sort of what your process was attacking this. Sure. Yeah, sure. We, we thought about it as sort of a two-pronged attack, right? Like, best can be defined as... This is the song you like the most. It's the one that's most emotionally resonant. It's the one that most reminds you of your absentee father or whatever it is. <laughs> that's one angle. The other is how culturally significant it is, how much yeah. it guided the development of music after that. Turns out Harold Faltermeyer was really significant. He was sort of at this pivot point in music history and sort of touched on a lot of things that are now really popular, which yeah. we can talk about. In addition to the fact that he's coming back in force because of Top Gun Maverick, he did that original score for that, the Top Gun anthem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then he rejiggered it with Hans Zimmer. And, you know, and now yep. that's like the biggest movie in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, so this guy really has his fingerprints and so many different tracks and has collaborated with so many artists that we were not aware of. Uh, he's collaborated with so many artists and we were really not aware of a lot of these partnerships going into this. So also in our process, like Brandon and I are journalists. And so we like to approach questions like these using kind of our journo brain. And so for us, it was super fun. I learned like a whole lot about this guy. To be honest, I didn't really know much about I feel like 90% of people are like, oh, okay, I recognize the weird name and the Axel Foley thing. And then mm-hmm. it ends there. But there's so much more to this dude. You know, just some basic boilerplate. He was born October 5th, 1952. He's German born. This may or this part might be true or not, but I looked up what falter means in German. Mm-hmm. Butterfly. Mm-hmm. So his name is Falter Meyer. Meyer is kind of like an occupational surname about like kind of being like a landowner or a leader or, you know, kind of a, a, a boss. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe his name means boss of the butterflies. Like I, you know, like, I don't want to necessarily wade into too much <laughs> in uncharted territory, but let's just, sure. his name is boss of the butterflies. Yep. Uh, so he came over, he really started making a name for himself in the seventies. And we're going to get into a lot more of that. But of course, Mm -hmm. many people know him for his uh, soundtracking credits in Top Gun, Chevy Chase's Fletch and Fletch Lives. And then the new Top Gun, as Brandon mentioned, uh, Running Man. A lot of people didn't know, don't know about that one. And then a whole host of pop stars, including Donna Summer, uh, Patti LaBelle, Barbra Streisand, Billy Idol, Latoya Jackson. Mm. 
one of the, the great, great one of the all-time greats from We Are the World. Yeah, the only one I remember uh, was in that. And he produced a whole album with Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> and a lot of, I, I would say, it could be argued that a lot of his signature sound emerged as a result of being under the tutelage of Giorgio Moroder, who is oftentimes considered to be the father of disco and mm-hmm. like synth mm-hmm. music and just a total legend. And very early on in Faltermeyer's career, he and Giorgio started working on soundtracks together and then continued that partnership moving on. Um, and so a lot of what we did was kind of also see, look into all these cool, like sort of producer, co-producer relationships that he had specifically with Giorgio Moroder. And then that kind of got us down this whole rabbit hole of really interesting songs that actually had nothing to do with his the work that he did around soundtracks. Right. Mm. Was his relationship with Giorgio... Did he bring the synthesizer to Giorgio or did Giorgio bring the synthesizer to him? It was a similar relationship as in The Phantom Menace. The, okay. The <laughs> Padawan to the oh, okay. main Jedi. He definitely gotcha. was at uh, Giorgio's elbow as Giorgio was like, the Moog synthesizer, check all this stuff out. Yeah. And this was at a moment where disco was... Both becoming electronic, and so you're having a lot of this electronic dance music, moving away somewhat from records, and becoming kind of the proto version of, you know, what we think of now as electronic dance music that has blown up, and disco has sort of faded from that. But but these guys were like right in the middle of that. Yeah. And in '79, uh, Giorgio had an album, and and there was a song on that that I think sort of ties all of these things together sort of this crucial moment where mm-hmm. um you hear disco you hear like chip tunes like there's there's video game music mm-hmm. but it's before video games and so it it sort of inspired this kind of electronic music and then later on video games use that kind of music because it was how you produce video games with digital music and then there's a music genre that comes after that years you know like more recently that then is riffing on that so it's a weird like leapfrog of borrowing one thing from another and in fact we have that now uh ken can you play e equals mc squared for us please Is that a vocoder? Mm-hmm. I think that's all mood. And that song's yeah. E equals MC squared and actually was the song that discovered the theory of relativity. That was it? Yep. Wow, oh, that's that the song that did it. <laughs> you, this yeah. guy is big. Uh, so Falter- <laughs> so Faltermeyer um, has a writing credit on that song. Mm-hmm. It's such a catchy, cool tune, and it, it has this really great sort of driving beat. I feel like I'm... Um, I could really, really, really picture myself in like a Chrysler LeBaron. Yeah. With like that gate over the back of the trunk. Sure. Kind a of car a that's cool, but boxy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. cherry. I mean, this thing yeah. came out, you know, <laughs> last year kind of thing. Sure. And um, I'm just rolling and I got this scarf, you know, it's just amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's an Italian trapper keeper of a song. <laughs> you know, like l- listening to that and hearing the intersectionality of all these different musical styles happening, like 
early digital music, the synth and electronic sounds that are going to carry through into like new wave music and Mm -hmm. kind of blow up in the 80s, that he always seems to be Axel F and the, the music from Fletch. And even the Top Gun theme that he composed are very, like, they're very rooted in the eras in which those films were made. And and unlike to listen to, like, the Vangelis score for Legend, that plants it so clearly, like, oh, this is 1985. And I can't get out of 1985 with it. But for him, there's something in his ability to tap into what's happening in that moment but also create a piece of music that kind of transcends it. Cause those at least Top Gun obviously has come back in a major way. Like it yeah. still works. It doesn't feel cute or vintage and Axel F like it's just, there's such iconic pieces of music. And I think there's more in that. I think the Fletch theme also is, is fantastic. Like they, for some reason, they're very much mid early, mid to mid to a little bit late eighties. However, they still work to this day. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I think partly because electronic music as pop is coming around so much, Mm. we idolize or fetishize the 80s again. I mean, 80s and 90s are are coming back. But, you know, I weirdly, when I listen to music on YouTube and when we were going through stuff for this, um, I would read the comments. You know, I read the comments of music a lot in YouTube, which seems like just the worst decision you can make. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's amazing how much. How much people... time do you have on your hands? Your dick is good. Yeah. Just your day like. I only read up. Don't you come on? Like, oh, I, I can't come back. I, I got a ten thirty, and then that's gonna. <laughs> there goes the day. I don't know. <laughs> and my ten thirty is listening to music on YouTube. It's a really long appointment. <laughs> just scrolling so deep into the comments. Yeah. Do you add to the comments? <laughs> no, never. No, it's no. always a lurking thing. No, I. Go until I reach Hitler references, and then I and you're out. So yeah, three sure. comments deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of for Harold. There's a lot of nostalgia, and you know, toward the '80s, and and the idea that like Axel F is, for example, Axel F and Fletch really captured the spirit of the '80s. Oh the, yeah, the synth, but also the like weird sort of cynical enthusiasm, you know, the the idea that there's something kind of sneaky going on. You know, you have these heroes that are, you know, too cool for school. They're up to something, you know, are you going to keep up with them? Like, whatever. But then, like, for Top Gun, you have just these heartbreaking stories in the comments of, like, you know, someone's dad, it was his favorite song, and and the dad died. And, and you know, yeah. with the Well, that Top guitar riff really pulls on the heartstrings mm-hmm. objectively. Yeah. It is a can, beautiful guitar riff. It's just, it's mm-hmm. out there. You're out on the horizon, man. I, it, I, I would also certainly encourage anyone listening to watch the music videos for both Axel F and Fletch. The Fletch theme song specifically was filmed at the Santa Monica Pier in the 80s, and it's just everything about it is emblematic of that sentence. And, like, it's it's like, yeah. it's so just perfect and beautiful, I almost don't I, I don't even want to spoil it, but please do yourself a favor, go take a look at those videos. And specifically with this EMC Squared song, and then Harold's music in general, one thing about his music that I feel like struck me in the research was that it really does have this unique fingerprint on it. He has such a sound that he is yeah. so committed to. And, his, and then in his later work, too, like he did a buddy cop movie with uh, Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan. Uh, Tracy yeah, Morgan. Cop out. Cop out. Oh, yeah. And it's like me and uh, Brandon and I were talking about this and like there's no evolution to his sound whatsoever. And that's great. In fact, let's have a listen to that. Can help us out with cop out. Yeah. The cop out theme. 
right. Yeah. Funky. You know, the guy found a little lane. more aggressive. Yeah. He found a lane and he stayed in it. And when he like, found a lane, do you think, though, that the lane that he found... Do you think that it is a signature style or do you think that it is pigeonholing? You know what I mean? Like the people that made Fletch were like, we're going to make a comedy cop movie in the eighties. Get me the Axel F guy. Yeah. Or if cop out was like, we're going to make a buddy cop movie that throws back to these eighties cop movies. Get me the Axel F guy. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean? Maybe it's a column A, column B thing. Like he, I mean, he kind of is the pioneer of that like micro genre of like yeah. funny, sneaky buddy cop. Um, mm-hmm. and again, that's the stuff that everyone knows him for. But what really got me interested in him and his music was this idea of how he is like this intersection of the disco and the synth music. And moreover, how he sort of keeps is bringing that disco sound almost into these more mainstream soundtracks and movies. Yeah. And the thing about disco is that it got this crazy bad name, you know, with Saturday Night Fever. But for the years preceding that, it was really groundbreaking music. I came across this really cool piece uh, from BBC, from Radio 6, um, written by Paul Stokes. And uh, in the article, this person, uh, uh, Stokes, interviews uh, Professor Tim Lawrence from the University of East London, and who's like a dance music historian, because there's mm-hmm. a historian for everything. Sure. And they dig into the significance of disco music, you know, in its lasting legacy. And not to get too far afield here, but, you know, disco music brought about the advent of the DJ, although I would argue that like dancehall Jamaican music also had a lot to do with the emergence of the single DJ mixing records. It essentially, mm-hmm. that and Jamaican music also essentially invented the remix. And then culturally, what was happening with disco is really fascinating, too, because suddenly disco clubs were clubs that individuals could go to without a date and just be themselves and really start like and express themselves in a way that wasn't really possible up until then. And then, of course, disco and the LGBTQ community are very closely related as well, because some of the first safe spaces for uh, those folks were these disco clubs, you know, in the major cities, right? So you can get really deep on why disco is cool and why it's important. And then you start realizing that this guy, Harold Faltemeyer, was the protege of the father of disco. And you're like, whoa, so there's, there's like more to this music than the Axel Foley thing. I mean, these are total audiophiles. These are total music nerds who were on the cutting edge of synthesizer technology. The whole, like, that picture of the people with the cords, like, pushing, you know, pulling them in and out of the holes and, like, that whole, like, Dan Deacon-looking, like, setup. It's like, they are the people who started that to begin with. This is pre-digital. This is analog synthesizer. Analog synthesizer, like, like, the frontier. And they're... I came across an article that said that it was an interview with Hans Zimmer. Is it Hans Zimmer? It's just Hans Zimmer. There was an interview with Hans Zimmer that says that Harold Faltemeyer and Giorgio Moroder at one point all lived in the same like boarding house in Germany at one point. And didn't know it before they were collaborating. Before they were collaborators. And they were all living in, you know, I mean, it sounded like a pretty funky place to be you know yeah it sounds like a rad house loud but you know yeah 
It's so weird to think about the debt. Like I have never thought of uh, just going back to you saying that that Saturday Night Fever was sort of the that led to the descent of disco. That comes mm-hmm. out in 1977. I've I watched it for the first time in the last couple of years. It is a horrifying film. Yeah. It is rife with issues, but yeah. the soundtrack is what is really what survives from it. Maybe some of the imagery, but that film was so pervasive that they were still three years later in airplane making. Saturday Night Fever reference mm-hmm. becomes like a parody of itself. And mm-hmm. then that leads to it because 1979 was that the year for e equals MC squared or EMC squared or, or? Uh, E yeah, equals MC squared was 79. Mm-hmm. And that's the eponymous name titular or eponymous. Where do you land on that? It's the band was called. Equals no, MC it's the, the, the album's called name of the album. Name of the album. That track. Yeah. He, eponymous- he invented. He invented. Relativity, and he wanted uh, to make sure that was yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> made it very yeah. clear. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but by that's part of a larger album called E equals MC squared, which is just banger after banger. The whole thing is just is out of control. So, but by time we're in 1979, I think we're either at the year or a year away from Disco Demolition Night in mm-hmm. Detroit, and really like not just it's not popular, but actively being sort of rooted out. So it's interesting also to see the pieces of disco that made it to the lifeboats immediately, and now. Disco has had a resurgence. It's mm-hmm. still influencing music to this day because Big that time. was never, it was never the problem. Disco was never the problem. Yeah. It was. Well, yeah. In was, it that it, was it that it stopped being cool because a major, huge Hollywood movie became the biggest thing ever? And it kind of got suburbanized. It yeah, kind of got like, it, it, it got suburbanized. And, and this is, that's also kind of, this is again, Professor Tim Lawrence kind of, you know, nerding out on disco music, but like it got suburbanized and then got, it became sort of this caricature of itself. This professor also posits that the backlash against disco in the late 70s could have been an attempt to scapegoat these marginalized communities right mm-hmm. so and so there could have been a bit of that going on too right and it, it could have been like there could have been a bit of bigotry uh involved in sort of the backlash against disco but i have a number of friends who are kind of in like the house music current house music like rave scene in los angeles and i mean the disco and its influence is so present, and it's not even influence, it's just still there today. Like, it just never let, like, that dropping the beat, keeping the music going, dance floor, keep, like, that is just, the dance has never stopped. That, yeah, that yeah, never left. Man. And I so, that. that's what, I mean, it felt so rewarding to learn more about this, like, the significance of early disco via this research into Harold Faltemeyer. So, uh, it's, what a cool it's catalyst. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Before and before we leave all together, I think it's important to understand because after this, we get into the kind of Harold sound that we know from scores because he starts doing a lot of score stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, to illustrate how fundamental he was to the voice of what we think of as classic disco, he worked on a number of songs with Donna Summer, a couple of albums with her, yeah. including one Ken cue it up that he co-wrote with her that is. Pretty well known. Yeah, I had no idea this was Walter Meyer. Also, seventy nine. Yeah, a lot of great things happened in seventy nine. He has a written by credit on that track, and um, in Bad Girls too. Walter mm-hmm. Myers had his. Mitts all over that one. 
Listen, you're adding so many more songs than I thought we were going to have on the list. <laughs> I honestly thought we were just going to learn a bunch of really cool stuff about Harold Faltermeyer and then say that Axel F was the winner. But we would have the Journos guys to tell us all kinds of cool reasons why. Now you are muddying things, guys. There are way more songs that I didn't. I knew nothing about Equals MC Squared. Let's do this. Yes. Why don't we take a brief break? Because we've gotten to the influences of Faltermeyer. And when we come back, we'll get into his most well-known work. We got into it a little bit, and we'll start sussing out what might be his best song. We're going to apply and learn more about all this fantastic journalism that has been happening for the sake of this dumb show. So I, really, I do really feel like we had uh, – yeah. I feel like we asked a Michelin star chef to make a Happy Meal, but yeah. it's the best Happy Meal of all time. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to be right back. You know, we rely and are appreciative of all the support we get from the Maxim Fund members. And if you enjoy this show, you might enjoy some of the other great shows on the network. You're about to hear about a few of those. You're listening to We Got This with Mark and Al. We'll be right back. Jay Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast? Go fact yourself. No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. Yes, well, lucky for you, Go Fact Yourself is back to being a live audience show. Woohoo! Yeah, we've got a free recording coming up on January 15th in Los Angeles and February 11th in Pasadena. And if you can't make it there, all of our recordings will still be available as a podcast. Twice a month, every month on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Hey there, it's Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Laura House. We host Tiny Victories, the 15-minute podcast that's about the little things. Getting into the tiny victory frame of mind is about recognizing minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. Isn't it a wonderful day when the first password you try actually works? When it's freezing cold outside and toasty as all get out in my shower, my tiny victory is that I turn off the water and get on with my day. We can't change this big dumb world, but we can celebrate the tiny wins. So join us on Maximum Fun or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get tiny! Welcome back to We Got This with Mark and Hal. We are here, of course, with Steven Jackson and Brandon Reynolds from the delightful program Journos. Go check it out. Turn this off right now. Go listen to an episode of Journos. No, wait. Come right back. They should. You know what? Let's finish this. Should we finish this? Okay. Finish listening to this episode and then (laughs) go listen to Journos. I feel like you sent a lot of people the way in the middle to the like the latter third of our episodes. Yeah. Well, I don't want them to hear the decision. I want to keep the suspense. I want to keep the <laughs> keep the excitement alive in this particular marriage between listener and uh, podcaster. Yeah, scrub to five minutes left in the show and then unsubscribe. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we we dove into disco and the influences of the great Italian disco god that was Qui Gon Jinn to Harold Faltermeyer. Now let's talk a little bit about the mid nineteen eighties when Harold Faltermeyer made inarguably, I would say, his two most influential things and the people, the things that people think of him most for, which is Axel F and Top Gun. Both of them seminal works of the 1980s. What did you come across in your research about these particular works? It was interesting how when you listen to them, Mm -hmm. and it's possible that we'll listen to a couple of them here in a second, you definitely hear, it almost sounds like he 
carved the sound of the eighties out in like yeah. a weekend. He was like, this is the sound. Everything's going <laughs> to be it. a riff yeah. on this. Like he decided what the sound of the eighties was going to be. The sound of the eighties was Faltermeyer. Well, yeah. yeah, I think that's what jumps out to me a lot. Um, yeah. I think that's what jumps out to me the most is that you close your eyes and it's just so absolutely. It's the union archetype of 1980s music mm-hmm. and those soundtracks yeah. is, is, yeah. The, is that specific synth sound. Yeah. Let's listen to Axel F from Beverly Hills Cop. This is 1984. This album got a Grammy for, I think, yep. the whole album. Yeah. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. There are elements of the song I forgot about. Oh, yeah. You know, definitely. And I've heard, what I always wonder when I hear those types of tracks, you're like, what was it like in the studio when they just cut that? Yeah. Are they like, yep, that's yeah, it. We just that's changed. It, yeah. We just changed everything. Every there's a before and after in the world now. Before this song came out and after. Yeah. Was he playing everything? Is this all him on the synthesizer? Because his book is called, his autobiography is Where's the Orchestra? Like it's, he's the guy in the studio recording, right? He wears yeah. the suit that Dick Van Dyke wears at the beginning of Mary Poppins, but it's all <laughs> yeah. synthesizers, right? Yeah. 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 It's just a bunch of moogs and then knee symbols. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is um, true that if you think about Hans Zimmer, right? Hans Zimmer is the guy who came out of this scrum of German synthesizer freaks mm-hmm. and became, you know, Hans Zimmer is Chris Nolan's John Williams, I guess. You know, yeah. like he's mm-hmm. doing these big pieces and he totally adopted the orchestra. Like he was like, let's bring in a live band. And now, like, he's the biggest thing in the world. You know, and when I, Harold when I think is still of- banging away on his buttons. When I think of Hans Zimmer, and he's done a ton of scores and a ton of iconic themes, but I think of as good as it gets because it's such a, I think a good piece of film score sort of borrows from Tchaikovsky's Peter and the Wolf in that there are instrumental representations of a feeling or a location or a character. And in that piece, you get sort of the interplay of Jack Nicholson and his struggles and Helen Hunt and her struggles and sort of the dance and the precision of of his life. But for Axel F, it captures sort of the sneaky Bugs Bunny that is Axel Foley. It captures the, the being in Beverly Hills in this fashion and avarice capital of the world and also has this like there is something in there that says like this guy's from detroit like maybe almost the baseline feels like detroit it's funny that you mention that specifically because faltermeyer referred to this song as the quote banana theme originally as a shorthand (laughs) that this is where it came up right was in that scene Yes, exactly. Where it, it was written for a specific scene where like a cop from Detroit gives these police officers, you know, the bananas to. Yeah, he stuffs the bananas in their tailpipe. Yeah, the exactly. So that, yeah. so that the car stalls, which is, yeah, yeah I mean, everything that you guys, I, I was writing down like details that you had described. And this is why I think this is a contender, aside from the fact that it's iconic. Mm-hmm. The ways, just the adjectives and ways you guys were describing this over the course of this conversation, the song sounds like he's up to something. You know what I mean? Mm. It is mischievous. It's yeah. cool. It's so yeah. it's and the scene is 
a cool, mischievous cop yeah. who is up to something. Yeah. Hey, hey, make a Moog sound furtive. And he's yeah. like, come right up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it's a perfect you know, moment. To your point, Mark, I, there are some wonderful parts of this song that I feel like most people don't even really get to. And so, Ken, I don't know if you could dial up to about minute, two minute, the two minute mark in this song. I think that that's where you get into this like delightful, sort of almost hopeful bridge that I think is something that is sort of an unsung hero of this song itself. Ooh. Where it's like the higher chords. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. nice. It's hopeful. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It's so good. See, everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Because you know? Axel F is here. Yeah. <laughs> We're in Beverly Hills. What yeah. could go wrong? This feels like the LeBaron Beverly Hills the, part. I got the LeBaron in my scarf. <laughs> yeah. There's a real. The <laughs> there's a real. Um, to me, I mean, maybe this is a weird synesthesia thing, but I wonder if you guys sense this. There's a real night and day. Like, that feels dark to me. It feels mm -hmm. like the absence of light, but not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And I think about that because I feel like there's the sort of yin and yang is that against Fletch, the Fletch theme, uh, mm -hmm. which sounds really similar, but seems like if Axel F is the nighttime version, the Fletch theme is sort of the daytime oh, yeah. version. Uh, Ken, yeah. will you give us a little Fletch theme? My conspiracy theory was that he had written that song as some kind of alt to Axel F for Beverly Hills Cop and it didn't get used. And so, you know, a year later when he was working on Fletch, he just threw him that. Yeah. Turns out it's even weirder yeah. in that, in that that's totally wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the truth of the matter is that the Top Gun theme was actually written for Fletch. Really? For yeah. a dream sequence in what? which Chevy Chase thinks he's an L.A. Lakers basketball oh, player. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. So what is it? Six five, six ten with the afro, something like that? When, yes. they, when they announce him, Chick Hearn announces him. Yes. What I love about the Fletch theme and why I think it works so well, it is very similar. It does mm -hmm. have a very similar feel to Axel F. And it could have worked for Beverly Hills Cop as well because it feels like the same theme the same bit of music, the same phrase happening again and again in slightly different ways, which speaks to a guy who's constantly assuming different personalities as he goes undercover to try mm, to solve mm -hmm. this mystery. Yeah. And it starts a little bit simpler and then gets more complex, mm -hmm. which that story does as well, because it takes a lot of twists and turns. And as he sort of tries to figure out what is going on with this guy who's asked to be killed. Yeah. In exchange for, for however much money it was. But it also would work for Beverly Hills Cop for a guy like Axel Foley, who's constantly pretending to be a reporter for Rolling Stone or just the number of different sort of cons he's pulling off as he makes his way through this mystery. So I, I like it. that theme to me is really, it suits that movie really well. It does feel like it's definitely Harold Faltermeyer. And that movie, like, I really loved Confess Fletch, the new version. If it had had that theme song in it, it would have been my favorite movie in history, I think. Yeah. Combining it's, John Hamm and the Fletch theme. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that creates some kind of weird singularity, I think. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's the, uh, so there was something about the drums in the Fletch theme. Did you guys come across anything about the, specifically about the drums? Cause I'd read in just in passing that there was some new sort of thing they did with the electronic drums in this. Mm-mm. Just like no. musically and technologically, it was some sort of advancement that they had made in like the uh, echoing, like that. Yeah. Maybe it was, that, maybe it was like they, they had added some new sounds to the canon of drum electronica. You know, it's like the space program kind of acts, it invents all of the, all this stuff that we end up right. needing and using day to day, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, you, you know, titanium alloys and exactly. stuff like that. Yeah. Fletch in that way is kind of a driver of a great deal of musical innovation. Yeah. They invented the pacemaker and that's what made that drum sound. (laughs) (laughs) Incidentally, it saves thousands of lives. But I look in the spirit of your show, we are doing some great journalism dives in the spirit of our show. I don't know that Fletch is necessarily going to be the top contender in this simply because when we are looking at these two side by side, Axel F has that cool bridge. It has that iconic melody. I think Fletch is missing the iconic melody. Mm. It does get more and more complicated, but I think part of the beauty of Axel F is the melody is that simple that 11 year old me would go up to any piano and play it at any point in time. Yeah. The Fletch is kind of the, the Fletch theme is kind of the thinking man's Axel F. Sure. Sure. It's the Philip Glass of Axel Epps. <laughs> <laughs> Who, and they all had to have hung out at some point. Sure, right? they were all in that yeah. weird German boarding house together. <laughs> yeah. I want to jump ahead to, because you, you mentioned Top Gun, which came out uh, not long after. Uh, one thing I think is interesting about Top Gun is the most iconic thing to that piece of music to me is not a synthesizer. And this is from Harold Epp, who is known for his synthesizer work. It's that guitar riff. Mm. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? What do we, uh, what do we know and what do we think about the Top Gun theme song? Because the, the Top Gun also, it was competing within its own soundtrack with some epic pop songs. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't, you don't buy, you know, some song albums, you buy the movie soundtrack because it's a Hans Zimmer soundtrack or you buy it because it's, uh, you know, a composer that you really love. This was a collection of pop tunes where that one song snuck through and was the best thing on that yeah. album. It's yeah. it's like the musical representation of an American flag, like waving slowly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's hear. It. We have actually two versions. We have the original one from '86, and we have the new one from Top Gun Maverick. Fairly similar, slightly redone. Which so similar. Hmm. Let's hear the let's hear the new one. You'll remember the old one buried within the new. This is the old one, right? No, this is the new one. But this is the new one? Exactly. Yeah, I really... See, and then it's just like Cop Out. It was like 20 years later, and he's just like, I'm... Harold's Iconic, gonna Harold, man. Same, yeah. Like, Harold's this is what Harold. we're doing. Yeah. Walter Meyer gonna fall... Look, boss of, <laughs> boss of the butterfly is gonna boss those butterflies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Somebody the like there... An actual German speaker is gonna be like, you idiot. Like, that's, yeah, you, totally. you can't just Google those two words and put them together. <laughs> that's not how German works. <laughs> yeah. Translate.google.com. Yeah. I did some real hard-hitting journalism yeah. with Google Translate like two seconds before we hopped on a call. And I was like, I'm going to hang my hat on that butterfly yeah. boss bit. That's, that's the new All the President's Men. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Someone handed you a dossier in a darkened... Uh... Brandon's calling 
reading the freaking YouTube comments journalism. So the freaking, you know. He's doing it currently. Brandon, we're recording. Oh. Wait, do you want to hear what this guy's sister said about this thing once he's <laughs> Well, yes, actually. Um, as it happens, the guitar is an important part of tying all this stuff together. So mm. when Harold was asked to do the soundtrack for um, Top Gun, he had to scramble. Like I said, he had this thing that he had been working on for Fletch. So the story goes, there's Faltermar. He's working on this theme. In the studio next door is a little guy named Billy Idol. Ooh. And he hears it and he says, that's a great song, this, this song that he's working on for Fletch. He said, you should use that for Top Gun. And so it ends up being that. Billy Idol's guitarist is the one who does the guitar for what? Harold's thing. No yeah. kidding. That's him. Yeah. Oh. And he worked with Harold Faltermeyer on a bunch of stuff. But Did anyway, he just like loan like him to the studio next door for a few minutes? Like, yeah, I guess so. Well, go play this, mate. Yeah. yeah. Just a that's, Roman guitarist. That's just great. Like, it, it also, which raises the question, what were the 80s? Like, this is insane. Yeah. Like, like that, <laughs> like all of these weird, like, oh, he's next door. The Billy Idol guitarist guy. Sure, I'll make this riff. Yeah, into it sounds a like a, a German and an Englishman will make an American flag of a song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, Faltermeyer said, when he was trying to think about how to envision this thing for Top Gun, he said uh, to imagine that the pilots, quote, are like rock and rollers in the sky. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did it. That he did it. it. That's exactly Nailed what it. that is. Flying cool. Yeah. And then in the sky. I mean. The sequel might be one of the best sequels that's ever been made, just in terms of it was here's here's what you want. Yeah. You think that that's like Robert Zemeckis in talking about Back to the Future Two is like the perfect sequel gives you everything from the first film again, hits all the same beats. You want that familiarity, which Back to the Future Two does really well. This one does it even better. Just I mean, everything. The guy knows how to make a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. He just knows how to make a Tom. And when he yeah. when he moves out, it's like even the Jack Reacher movies are imminently watchable. Mm-hmm. They're not faithful adaptations of the books, but you can watch them. And then when he moves like outside of that a little, he's like, let's make a movie about a plot to assassinate Hitler. People are like, mm, can you just put on a bunch of other people's faces and run up a building? <laughs> we, we like that. We yeah, like that, yeah. Tom. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Be like Faltemeyer. Yeah. And these three movies are bing, bang, boom, 84, 85, 86. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. That I was going to say that yeah, I, totally like that's one. What is there any modern analogy to that? I don't know. The only thing I can think of, and it's not consecutive years, is doing Star Wars and then Superman, yeah. the movie, and then Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. But yeah. even within that, you have more. He's, he'd also had come off of Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then went into E.T. Like, John Williams just never stopped. Yeah. But in terms of, of someone who is not John Williams, having a run of pieces of music like this that everybody knows, and the chances that somebody would know this piece of music and know the name Harold Faltermeyer is very low. That's yeah, insane yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. I want to uh, now, if we if we can... Because it seems like we've we've figured out at least I hate to stop right here because mm. we are only to the mid 1980s. And you know what? I think I can we agree that our victor is probably going to be from this run. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Cop Out. Wow. I don't think Cop Out or Running Man or Fatal Beauty. He does Running Man's fine. He did the he did the one like uh, film noir kind of one that mm-hmm. was a little bit of a departure. Yeah. I do want to give a shout out to one that I think is amazing. Which mm-hmm. for wait, why does Running Man make you feel? I sad? don't know. This is the vibe. It's just ah, I just feel all yeah. icky inside. I get it. I mean the the song it just kind of puts me down. Yeah, yeah. There is a piece of music that he wrote the music for a video game called Two Worlds in two thousand seven yeah. that is great because it's a fantasy game and it begins with just clarinet and this sort of like it sounds like it's going to be this fully orchestrated, you know, beautiful fantasy score like Lord of the Rings or any of these mega epic fantasy tales. And then you're like, okay, this sounds so much different than any Harold Faltermeyer I've ever heard. And then screams in that electric guitar. And you're like, okay, great. I forgot this is a fantasy world. So sure, they have electric guitars in whatever (laughs) chivalrous world of medieval lunacy this is. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Any other shout outs from late era Harold Faltermeyer before we take a look at, I would argue, our binary choices, Axel F or the Top Gun theme? I'm not going to let you throw it's not as in the good. garbage can yet. Fletch is the but bronze I, and, medalist. And I recognize I'm one of the few people on the planet who likes this movie unless there's a secret society I don't know about, which is Tango and Cash. And the reason why oh, I like the name yeah. that is there's a theme for Tango and a theme for Cash. There you huh. go. Yeah. A little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. Right. That's right. Is the Tango theme a Tango? No. What? How is it not a tango? Is the theme for Cash? Money, 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 money. No, no. Cash's theme is the... Because he's the kind of unkempt. Yeah. Kurt Russell. This is a... In Hal Lublin's Kurt Russell scale of film quality, this is Kurtastically Russellicious. And the music is as well. As is Jack Palance's great line when he's watching the footage. Somehow he has footage of every single raid that either of these cops has perpetrated on uh, his empire. And he goes, uh, Ray Tango, he waltzes in and takes all my drugs and Tango's back out again. Yeah. That's I always think lot. that Jack Palance is like, He's always got a co-actor, and that's his sinuses. Like, you just hear, what, <laughs> hear the acoustics of his head better than oh, any other actor yeah. in history. Oh. As, as an adenoidally challenged actor myself, <laughs> he gives me hope that yeah. I can have a career one day. Yeah. yeah. Someday your nose will be able to do one-handed push-ups just like old Jack. <laughs> oh <my laughs> when it God. wins the Oscar for best clogged sinuses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other... One thing we might add, and he is a co-writer on this, but it is a song that I like a lot, which is from Beverly Hills Cop 2, which is Break Down, oh, the break Bob Seger song. Break yeah. Shake down, shake down, everybody's coming on the mountain tonight. Yeah. I enjoy that very much. That song he that Hell knows that. all the lyrics to. It ends up becoming scat after yeah. a while. Sure. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the thing about him is part of what makes him so 80s is that he sort of fairy godmother like, like at the end of the decade, he sort of just floats away. He goes back to Germany, raises a family, gets into a wealth of other hobbies. Like he's a professional woodworker. He's a mountain climber. He's a fly fisherman. Uh, he prepares meats he loves to make sausages he's a microbrewer he's got all this stuff going on and so he does kind does of he live in silver lake 
Yeah. <laughs> He's turned into an yeah. entire Silver Lake shopping He's, center by himself. He is, yeah. He is all of Silver Lake in one man. He's a renaissance. He's a renaissance. Yeah. He's a polymath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you toy collectors, look out for the new Transformer. It's a Silver Lake shopping center that transforms into Harold B. Faltermeyer. <laughs> the shopping center just pulls out. It's just all those different keyboards that he's always surrounded by. Yeah. Oh, my it's God. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like a lotus flower made of moves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, if anyone had lotus flower made of moves on their bingo card, just one. Congratulations. Come redeem your card. Oh. All right, so let's take a look then at – I want to go back to something that you said, Brandon, at the beginning, which is what is the best? What does it mean to be the best? And we've been doing that on this show now for 400 episodes, trying to find the best. And one thing that you touched on that I've always been a big fan of is really defining a moment culturally and being exemplary of its moment and lifting things up and moving things forward from there. And I think that both of these pieces of music, Axel F and the Top Gun theme, are very much of their moments. Mm. But using that metric, are there factors that we can weigh in that we haven't talked about yet? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think a song like E equals MC squared, mm -hmm. while it's part of his sort of lesser known, it's one of, while it's one of his lesser known tracks, Mm -hmm. It kind of does exemplify the moment in music history in which it was published, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it, it is at that intersection of disco and synth. And again, it's this deep collaboration with someone whose contributions to the world of electronic music can't be overstated, right? So yeah. mm -hmm. I think in a weird sure. way, that one for me, so it almost, I'll also, you know, full disclosure, I kind of came in here being like, you know what? That, that's my song. Equals That's MC my squared. number one. But mm -hmm. in this conversation, I feel like I'm starting to change my mind a little bit. Um, yeah. And it's precisely because of the reason that you just sort of brought up is that it, while is the Axel Foley song, Axel F, would I be afraid to deem that the best song because it's sort of like a, quote, basic answer for mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, it's like the most popular song. But, you know, things are the, sometimes the most popular song for a reason. Yeah. I think the challenge that you've hit right on the head is if we were picking the most influential song of his, mm. equals MC Skirt would be up there. When you go to the best, I think you're factoring in the influence, the quality, and the impact, but also the popularity of it. So something that is instantly recognizable, we may be less likely to go in for because we go, well, everybody's heard it, and that's why it's in some weird way a recency bias, even though it's from the 80s, because we hear it so often, we've heard it so often, that it looms large in our mind. But I think that ultimately is something that works in its favor, and something that a lot of these have that equal MC squared doesn't. And that doesn't diminish the impact it's had or what it represents in terms mm -hmm. of the evolution of an entire genre of music that then explodes out into like 20 more subgenres of music. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, my my wife is actually really into house music and like it, it it's the people that I know are through her. And when I was like before the show, I was like, check out this song. Like, you know, it's the dude who wrote the Axel F. She's like, oh, yeah, I love that song. So in certain <laughs> yeah. circles, sure. it's a mega hit. It's already. A, it's already it is a hit, right? So there's also there's the, there's like our own perspective of sure. you know I Absolutely. am one of the whatever ninety percent of people who when 
you know, Brandon was like, they want us to do the best Harold Faltermeyer song. I was like, who's that? And that was like, you know, a month ago. And now all of a sudden, I feel very close to the man. Yeah. Well, that's what you guys do so well on your show, which is why it's so exciting to have you guys here, is you take a thing where you're like, hey, uh, yeah, here's the world's most dangerous bird. I know nothing about this, but guess what? Now I'm terrified of it. You know what I mean? Deep dives into things that I had never heard of before, which we've done this week. You know, not to deviate too much, but one of the things that made us want to come on, we got this is because, you know, I've been a journalist for a number of years and everyone in my generation came of age in journalism as it was collapsing in one way or another because of the Internet. Yeah. And so all of my cohort of journalists, we all sort of learned to sail on a sinking boat and have been looking for what the alternative is, like what journalism turns into that's not just New York Times or whatever. And, you know, we got this is one of those weird mutations, right? Like you guys are doing this very hyper-specific cultural anthropology that is super exciting to hear. And, you know, if there's some electromagnetic pulse that wipes out all information and the only thing that's left is y'all's back catalog, I think we could rebuild society from it, you know. (laughs) That is, Ken, can you pull that and use that as our next ad? That's the kindest thing anyone's ever said about our show. Thank you. This is exactly why I think all of our episodes should be shot into space. Nobody (laughs) will listen to me about it. But now is the time. You're going to be on that golden record, yeah. It's the new golden record. Oh, yeah. New golden record, please. I I mean, talk about that's. Yeah, that's a that's a tough gig to land, man. Right? Mm-hmm. Being included on the golden record yeah. that's I want to be on the Voyager. Did you guys hear they, they made Voyager? They made Voyager? They made Voyager? Yeah. Harold F. made Voyager. <laughs> Our podcast is a reason it's going to come back and terrorize Earth again in Star Trek motion picture. <laughs> oh like they God. finally yeah. got to the end of our catalog. Like, yeah. oh, got to go back. All right, guys, we got to make a decision. All right. We're looking at equals MC squared. We're looking at uh, we're looking at Axel F. We're looking at Fletch. We're looking at the Top Gun theme. I'm putting everything back on the table because, wow. you know, we just had Thanksgiving dinner. Why not? Let's hey. have a let's fill up yeah. the table. But I think there is I think there's one that's rising, if I may be so bold. Yeah. And it's the one that we all got fired up listening to multiple times. And even though we had all heard it a million times, Stephen, you even pointed out that there were parts of it that we hadn't focused on before and that mm. people didn't remember. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would argue that that might be, sometimes it's a really difficult choice. Sometimes, sometimes we talk about a thing and then one just slowly makes their way to the surface. Yeah. I feel like the latter is what's happened here. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the best Harold Faltermeyer song, you know, is really just the friends we made along the way. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> is that an option, fellas? Can we do yeah, that's that? It. That's yeah. It. Let's pop it out. I think that's uh, it. I I actually, I agree with you on Axel F. I do think the other contender is Top Gun. And the reason why I think Top Gun could be the answer is its resurgence reminds us that not only is it an iconic piece of music from an iconic film, not only did it survive much like Axel F did and thrive over the years, but I think it captured a very specific Reagan era definition of what it meant to be American, what it meant to be patriotic. What it, it meant, meant to, be, to a man. be a hero, what it meant to be a man, all of these things, most of which are 100% incorrect. But th- sure. its ability to capture – it captures <laughs> something like oddly socioeconomic 
and yeah. cultural at the same time. Mm-hmm. A- and when it came back, you're like, oh, this still works a hundred percent. This doesn't, you can very easily update it to the eighties. I don't know when they do Beverly Hills cop four, if it's going to hit the same or if they'll just hmm. use the exact same, that you may just bring back the exact same music, which yeah. again yeah. speaks to great. how great it is. Yeah. But. How great that one. And so the tiebreaker between those two and I'm on board yeah. with that assessment. So the tiebreaker would be. Mm. You're in your LeBaron. Yeah. Mm. The scarf is out the window. Sure. What are you going to play alone for your own personal enjoyment? Are you going to play Axel F or are you going to put on the Top Gun theme song? Is it daytime or nighttime? It's dusk. Am I in the city or by the beach? You're kind of driving towards the beach. Oh. Wait, is the scarf short or am I going to Isadora Duncan myself? It's long enough so that you have your, the driver's side window is down and it's just okay. sort of just like flailing slowly, okay. not That's unlike an American convertible. Yeah. This is a, it's a, okay. it's a roofed car. Okay. No, the LeBaron, no, there's no roof on that. Oh, there's no, yeah, no LeBaron's okay. a convertible. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. that convertible. But it's not long enough. I'm not in any danger. No, that no, was no, immediately no. what I thought is like, <laughs> oh, I should put, take that scarf off even if I'm cold. No, no, if it, it's not in danger, if, if anything, it's just enhancing the experience oh. for you and for observers. Hal, be more My like Jack so. Palance. Be brave. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stuff. wait to go for a drive and put my scarf on around my neck yeah. and then tangle back out again. <laughs> That's the sound of me trying to sleep because I can't breathe through my nose. I haven't done it since 1942. <laughs> I do think that the weird thing about his music is, you know, it's very public facing as soundtrack music, the stuff that was really big. And so it was sort of this commercial art that was for everybody. But I think the thing that makes it work in the long term is that there's something weirdly personal about it. I told Mm -hmm. you all this in our episode when we recorded it, but I didn't like music as a kid. I mean, it just didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. It didn't register. And then one day a parent dropped a cassette tape of 80 soundtracks in my lap and I played it, and Axel F was on there, and that was the thing that, I kid you not, opened the door to me to music. I was like, this is a thing that is speaking to me. I understand there's a language of music and a way of, the way music as an art, you know, evokes feelings and thoughts and, you know, has, wakes up all of this stuff about an internal life and all these things. And from there, you know, kind of the way it shaped electronic music, for me, it, that has continued to be, his music has continued to be, thematic i mean i don't listen to his stuff or whatever but i i like electronic music i think in part because of that Mm, and those early days and there's always sort of to me that sense of like when i'm listening to it i'm really listening to that in my head Uh, Mm. and it is this very personal experience that is you know it's nice that other people like i say when i was reading those youtube things like there's something that really speaks to them about the intimacy of these songs even if they are kind of big and soaring and epic they still sort of resonate on this, you know, quiet inside way. I mean, so for me, it's, I think it's definitely, it continues to be Axel F. Although, you know, I flummoxed around a little bit when I was thinking about these things and changed my mind a lot. But I, I don't know that I can go back on something that was so, to me, formative. Mm. So like the soundtrack to your Bildung Stroman is, soundtrack to my Bildung is, it is Axel F. You're a coming of age I think for sure. I mean, even pre-coming of age before, like, uh, you know, I, I hadn't even gotten to an age where I could come of age yet. You know, it's just yeah, a little kid. You were so. a wee lad. Yeah, I was just a wee guy. Wee little guy. So Axel F for you, Axel F. You know, I think I would play it, too. Even with everything I said about the Top Gun theme, I don't think I would willingly play it. 
for anything other than I'm watching Top Gun or Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Or you're playing the 8-bit Nintendo game, which had an amazing version of sure. the Top Gun theme. Chip yeah. tunes, sure. Yeah. It was but impossible think- to refuel that thing. I always would crash. It was such a hard <laughs> game, the Nintendo one. But that music was great. Yeah. You know, that said, yeah. I'm, people- I'm ready to officially come around to Axla. Yeah. That's, you know, people of the world, I was shocked, floored in this episode. I will tell you, Mark and I did not know, or at least I did not know, that we were going to get sound clips in this. I didn't either, yeah. After all the trouble, everything saying, Ken, here's a clip, Ken, here's a clip. So rather than review and just repeat all the stuff we've already said, here's five seconds of Spike Jones and his city slickers giving us pure audio chaos. <laughs> no, don't play that. No, you got to play the real thing in here. <laughs> No, I don't want to hear the fast version. No, that's not it. Ken, stop. Stop, Ken. Please. I'm begging you. Stop. Oh, wait, I mean, hold on. Come on. Kind of into this. All right, fine. Yeah. Listen to this. We're getting down. There you go. And now here's Spike Jones at the City Slickers. <laughs> and that is why Axel F is the best Harold B. Faltermeyer song asked and answered. This has been an amazing two-part crossover. If for some reason you have not already listened to our conversation on journals, you should listen to it because it is a fascinating conversation that sets all this up and you should be listening to journals. What's wrong with you if you're not? Go listen to journals. It is an absolute delight. You will do deep dives into things you never knew you didn't know about. And it is so much fun. And if you as journalists are looking for how to create journalism in uh, this year and this new decade and beyond, if that was your goal, Brandon and Stephen, uh, you are you are accomplishing it beautifully and we can't wait to hear more of your show. Thank you for coming on, uh, on. We got this. This topic is closed. Yo, before I do that, is there anything that you want to plug? Is there anything, uh, that you would like to let the world know about? Would love to do that. So, um, what, what, what we did here today is actually a service that Brandon and I provide to anyone who will have us. And it's called journos as a service. And, um, so if you or someone you know uh has a podcast and and you're looking to get these two guns for hire on the show to dive deep into something that might support the work that you're doing on your podcast uh holler at Brandon and I you can reach us at journos at journos.net uh we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear uh whatever assignment you may have for us and we'd love to come on your show and do a bit of, of journalism for you too otherwise listen and listen to the podcast sure yeah. knows we're on the places where podcasts are found yeah yeah this is well that's how this by the way the journos uh, journos as a service was how you initially came to us with this and with this idea of journos as a service and we were Absolutely honored that you picked us to play with, and we were so fired up to get to do this. I think it's a brilliant idea. Thanks for letting us play with you on this. You do exemplary work. Uh, we will happily write the first Yelp review for this service. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> That's right. You guys are delightful. This topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss. So please reach out to us on Twitter at we got this tweets or email us at we got this podcast at gmail.com or go to facebook.com slash groups slash we got this podcast to talk about the Harold Faltermeyer songs you love and just to celebrate film scores and music and songs in general. 
It's always lovely to do. It's the funnest place and the nicest place on the internet. And that first one was a correct word. Thank you to producer Ken Plume. You can support all of the great work he's doing outside of this show at patreon.com slash Ken Plume. Thank you to researcher Kate McManus, who got to take a break for this episode. Thank you to graphic designer Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world, without whom we would not have this opportunity to sit down and talk with Brandon and Steven and have a great time with these guys or for be able to be doing any of the conversations that we have and the episodes that you have made possible. Thank you for coming back week after week and listening to the show and listening to us ramble on with our thoughts. And uh, yeah, we wouldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> for Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. We got this. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported